This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Who's with me? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to Friday. We're so happy we can help you start your weekend because like having your mom watch you play Dungeons and Dragons Nothing kills a good weekend buzz faster than talking about financial responsibility, am I right? And here to help you close the purse strings before you hit the bars tonight, we welcome from the Hippocratic Hustle podcast. Really? That's the that's the name they're going? Okay, from the Hippocratic Hustle podcast, Dr. Carrie Reynolds. And the woman behind the Poorer Than You blog, Stephanie Kibler. And in our Friday FinTech segment, what if you have a great idea for the next big FinTech app? We'll talk to the man behind Launchpeer, Jake Hare. And now, because when we talk about Hare, we definitely aren't talking about this guy. Here he is, Joe Salcihai. no hair joke to start off your Friday. Hey everybody, I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And guess what? We kicked all those regulars to the curb today because we have a better, a stronger, better, faster, more awesome group of roundtablers with us today. And first are a couple of uh, new friends I actually met this year. Let's go first to Denver where we have the host of the Hippocratic Hustle podcast, Dr. Carrie Reynolds. Carrie, how are you? Oh my gosh, Joe, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. You and I met in Philadelphia. That's right. That was so fun meeting you there at the uh, Choose FI uh, Stacky Benjamins podcastrophe. Yes, indeed. That was a great time. <laughs> well, 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 tell everybody about you because I love the show and you serve very closely a really cool audience. Uh, yeah, I have the Hippocratic Hustle podcast. It's a podcast for women physicians and we help women physicians find freedom in life, work and finances. Awesome. But what's funny is I've listened to three of your episodes uh, just recently. And what's funny is I am neither a woman nor a physician, but seriously, all the stuff about being a busy person, which not just physicians are and things about juggling and starting businesses. I mean, you really, I would think attract a little wider audience than that. Yeah, that's what I hear. I hear there is a lot of guys listening out there. So I thank everybody for crossing that gender gap and listening. What type of a physician are you? I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist, so I'm a kid's tummy doctor. Holy cow. I was going to say, you're going to have to explain that to me, but you got it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. So you just give them Tums and tell them to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of constipation, Joe. There's a lot of constipation out there. Nice. I heard that like uh caro syrup is like uh, the <laughs> grease that keeps the, should we even go into that? It was in the eighties. That was the <laughs> grease that kept things moving in the eighties, but we got better stuff now. We got, yes. Joe, welcome to 2018, pal. Right. And a woman who I've known of for, she's been blogging, I think for 10 years. From the Poorer Than You blog, it's our friend Stephanie Kibler. Very good. You almost didn't slaughter that. I came very close to almost not slaughtering it. How are you? I'm very good. And I've actually been blogging for almost 12 years, but who's counting? Oh, my God. How did you start your blog? So I was in college and I suddenly found out I didn't have enough money to stay in college. So I dropped out and started a blog because that's what you should do. That's I think that's in the manual. That's what just it is. drop out of yeah. college and start a blog. But that actually worked out well for you. That's probably the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Which shows also that, you know, this myth that college is for everybody. Totally not true. It's very true. I did end up going back, but I went back mostly out of sunk cost fallacy, just thinking like, well, I put all this money in. I should probably get the piece of paper at this point. Does a piece of paper feel at all worth it now? These days, not really. But in the early days after college, it's kind of good to have it when you're job searching, especially if you're me and you graduate right at the bottom of the recession. Nice. Right there. Nice work. That that was strategic, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, no, yeah, no. no jobs good. available now. I'm going to decide to come out of college at this point. Yeah, no, dropping out of school and taking some time off so that I graduated right in the recession. I planned that so well. <laughs> how did you come up with that name, Poorer Than You? That was because when I dropped out, I was in film school. So I was there with a bunch of other film students. And I guess I was the only poor one because when I told them I had to leave because of money, they were like, yeah, but you could get more loans, right? And I was like, no, like I hit the cap on loans. And they were like, okay, but that's what parents are for, right? And that was a thing that was actually said to me. So that's really? where the name came from. Yeah. So you're like, no, but I'm poorer than you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's awesome. And here, and I feel like we have on uh, another guy who's got a very specific audience from the Financial Residency Podcast. It's our good friend and repeat offender on the show, Ryan Inman. Hello, hello. I got roped in again. Well, that's right. And, and it truly is last minute. Len called us like an hour ago and I panicked and said, hey, Ryan, can you come on? And I don't know. Luckily, you came on without me having to offer you 10 bucks. So thank you very much. Wait a second. You told me I'd get 10 bucks. <laughs> oh, look at the time. Tell everybody about the Financial Residency Podcast. Yeah. And here uh, we educate uh, physicians on taking control of their finances. So Bring on a lots, lots of great guests, and I'm super fortunate that Carrie will actually be on the show when this show launches. That's so awesome. Yay. Super fun. So go check it out. Listen so, to Carrie again. So you're getting, <laughs> you're getting Carrie on like all channels today. That's, yeah. that's awesome. We got a great show today. But first, Stephanie, you know how you could be at least $450 richer? That would be nice. Please tell. Yeah. If you headed to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Isn't that amazing? Yes, I, I could really use that. Because the average, you, you should come back every show. Just like, yes, Joe, <laughs> please tell me more about Magnify Money. 
Only if you're going to tell me how to get money. Yeah. The, the average person who goes there saves 450 bucks because over 90% of those products you go to your bank for, you can actually search over 90% of the internet instead. So whether it's student loans, so you're paying less money to the man, getting your act together with your credit card debt. If you have credit cards, but you're not getting 2% cash back or more, Magnify Money has all those plus checking account, savings account, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. And I don't know if you know this, but we're coming to Detroit, Michigan on Wednesday of next week. What's that? Five days away. And Carrie, you used to be in Detroit. I did. Yes. You're going to fly back for the show. You're going to fly back for the show, right? Oh my gosh. I should have. I should have done that. That's I should (laughs) have. I see where this is going. But if he offers to buy the ticket, you're in trouble because he doesn't pay the $10 either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of ruined that, didn't I? Yeah, stackybenjamins.com forward slash tour for more. But we've got Shannon Kaysan coming on. He is uh, our featured guest, and he's a guy that is a professional speaker, a professional storyteller. And you can actually uh, hear him on places like The Moth and Snap Judgment, the storytelling podcast amazing storyteller and more. We've got our friends, Kat Alford and Andy Hill, uh, our friend, Tasha, also a Detroit area blogger, lots more guests and fun. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour. All right. Speaking of tour, we're going to tour a headline by a friend of ours in just a second. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first piece comes to us from a blog that we should have referenced sooner. I have never referenced Nick's blog on this show before. Talked to Nick a ton, our friend Nick True. Uh, The site is called Mapped Out Money, where Nick and his wife Hannah blog. And this piece is the one thing you actually need to figure out what you actually want. Carrie, let's start with you. What is that one thing that you need to look at to figure out what you really want? Oh my gosh, you got to figure out what your goals are. And this is what the article talks about is what's your why? What's your goals? What's your big overall arching plan for your life? Can you see why people don't, I mean, we hear that all the time, but nobody does it. It's like no one thinks about it. No one sits down and literally with a pen and a paper talks about it and thinks about it. Why is that? Do you think you think it's because we have it in our head? Well, I think we take it for granted that we think we know what our goals are, but we really don't don't really focus on the specifics of it. So I really like this article for that reason. Yeah. Stephanie, have you sat down with a pen and paper and mapped out your goals? No, but I really should. I am very goal oriented and I have tended to do a lot of goals, but they're a lot more concrete than what Nick talks about in the article. So I'll do goals like I want to go to Disney World next year in July. And his are more about your sort of overarching why, which I really like and is something I probably should be doing. But no, I I have not done that. I was going to ask you what concrete means. So you have the concrete physical I want X on Y date that they talk about, like the SMART goals. But this overarching why is what you need to do. Yeah, I think I have in my head some murky idea of my why of wanting security or whatever it is that drives me. But no, I've never sat down and wrote it out. And that seems very silly now that I just sort of carry it around in my head and have never put it down on paper. It's funny. We say that all the time, though, and I'm uh, I'm with you. Very few people do. Ryan, you you work with people as a financial planner. What percentage of people come in to you and really have mapped out their why? Zero. Really? Literally. <laughs> literally zero. I mean, physician is different. They kind of have blinders on to get through training. Oh, yeah. And they get done and then they're like, oh, thank God I'm done. Oh, wait, now what do I do? Oh, I'll start my career and keep going without actually stopping and, and thinking about like what you really want. But 
I think to kind of answer your, your question directly is the reason people don't do it is because it's really daunting. That's kind of scary. And it's like, what kind of framework do I have to do it? We've never been taught that. There's no training for it, really. And so when you look at it, it's like, okay, I want to think about my life. Well, how, how do you do it? Do I sit down, blank piece of paper and stare at it for a while? There's got to be some framework. So I know you guys have referenced it before on the show, but uh, as a registered life planner, I kind of follow with George Kinder Scott, and he's got these three questions that really start open-ended and then kind of go down. Oh, we did a um, whole show on this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know you guys, you guys did something that's, that's really good and that's a good framework to start. Do you remember those three questions? Yeah, it's. Um, I thought you were just going to say yes and stop there and demand that you get your ten bucks first, and then you might say them. Oh man, I knew I should have planned that better. <laughs> yeah, you should uh, probably put that in your in your like your top five priorities is like get my ten bucks from Joe. <laughs> Joe needs to buy me a beer. Right. That's all it is. But like Stephanie well, does, you know, you need to get it by X day with Y amount right. of interest. Why am I telling you that? Forget it. Never mind. Forget the 10 bucks. What are the three questions? Basically, if money were no object, what would you do with your life? How would you change it? So, like, let your dreams go. Like, think just huge, as big as you can get it, but really specific to you. So that's the first one. Write it down. Like, you answer that question. Spend as much time as you possibly can or want to on it. Then you'd proceed to the next question. And the next question is, um, assuming that you have five to 10 years left to live, the doctor tells you, um, you won't feel sick. There's nothing that um, you can do. How would you change your life? Would you change your life? And this does not assume unlimited wealth. So you have what you have today. What would you do? And most of my physician clients go, well, I get a second opinion. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I get it. Let's play along. Right. <laughs> hey, hey, and I was going to ask, actually, before we go on to number three, I want to ask Carrie that question. So you only have so much time to live. You've got what you got. What would you do? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I would definitely spend time on travel. There's so many places in this world I want to go. That's where I would probably start checking things off my to-do list. That's funny. I had a friend of mine that I had lunch with today, and he said that that's the way when he tells people that they might not have as much time as they'd hope for whatever physical reason, he presents it that way. He said, maybe it's time to go see the world. You know, right. that's the first thing. Probably pretty common, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, because so many people, you're right, have that same goal. What's the third one, Ryan? This one's kind of a downer if you think about it in one way or another, but it's, you have 24 hours left to live thinking back on your life. What did you miss? who did you not get to be? What did you not get to do? Oh man. See, I was going to save the third one for Stephanie and now I look like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe, what would you do for question number three here? Uh, what would I regret? Not giving Ryan his $10. <laughs> <laughs> That's, right. That's the first thing I would regret. I'd I be know. crying it's as I pass away, right? And I'd almost have my hand at my wallet when I hopefully die. I don't know. Maybe you'd be playing a board game to the end. That's right. Not enough board games. Haven't done enough. Stephanie, what would you do? With 24 hours left? What would you regret? Would, what would you what would, regret? would you back on and say, I wish I'd done this? Oh, my gosh. No, it's too heavy. I'm not answering that. <laughs> no? <laughs> it is. It's that, it's that hard, though. But, Carrie, you know something else I think is I feel like as Ryan's asking these questions, and tell me if you feel this way, too, I feel like if I answer these questions that I want to do X, Y, and Z, that means I can't do A, B, and C. Instead of giving me more options, now I have fewer options of my life. Yeah, you mean like not being able to well, I guess if if there's limited time, then we don't need to worry about retirement. Wait, Ryan, I'm I'm getting confused by the rules. On question two? Yeah. <laughs> on question three, you're gone in a day. So <laughs> I'm just uh, saying in general, you got you got my IRA yet. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in by the way, two, you've got five to ten years left. 
So you could die on the day of the fifth year or the day, like the full end of the 10th. If not maxing out your IRA is the thing that you regret not doing while you're on your deathbed. You're like seriously. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a sad state. That's a sad state right there. I didn't make my 2018 contribution. <laughs> Just I forgot the back door. No. Yeah. I was actually talking, Carrie, though, in general. I feel like people don't do this partly because they're afraid that that then they'll miss out on something else. Yeah, that they're setting too many restrictions on their on their list of desires. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have to say, my husband and I sat down and we did this a couple hours ago. You did really? I know. We did. Really? I know. This was like on my to-do list for I don't know, years probably. Well so. then well then you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I know you didn't necessarily give me that homework, but it was a great opportunity. So yeah, so we just sat down in a coffee shop and we kind of went through that whole blog article and worked through it and tried to come up with it. And I can say at first it was so stressful, mainly because we started thinking of big picture things that we wanted to do, but then we started going too specific with it. So we were going into the, the like, where would we want to travel? Oh, but I don't really want to go there. And, you know, I want to go here. And then it was like, it started getting a little bickery, not, not too much. We were still, you know, cordial, but, <laughs> but it was stressful. It was totally stressful. But then as we let the process kind of work itself out and we kind of tried to pull back from the specifics, we were able to come up with our why and then kind of work through that. So that was, that was really great. Do you think it's easier with a spouse or is it harder with a spouse or a loved one? Well, I think we definitely had to make some compromises between the two of us, but I imagine that if you are a single person without another adult that you're spending your financial life with, that it might be hard for you to decide that this is a good thing to do for you because, you know, like Stephanie was saying, it's like, this is all up in your head, right? You got all these ideas of what you want to do personally, but you may not think of doing it concretely. But when you have a partner, you're like, I got to express this to him yeah. or her. And so- I think that forces you to kind of think about putting it more on paper. Yeah. It's like there's some accountability, Stephanie. Yeah. And it gives you someone to be a sounding board off of because I know that I will just have things in my head and I won't, they won't really make any sense until I say them to someone else. And my husband is usually that someone else who has to hear all of my crazy thoughts until I've figured out a way to make them make sense. Mm. And to bring it around to something. And yeah, it kind of brings you down. And I think it's a good restriction to have to make a compromise with someone else because I think our brains don't do very well with that open-endedness. And we really might need someone to bring us back down to earth and say, wait, but that doesn't jive with you know reality or with what I want or what I need. That's funny because initially, Ryan, I think that it, this is easier for single people, but I tend to agree with single people. It might be harder because... If, hey, my brain is the only thing, you know, between me and my goals, but then I never do some of this stuff. Like I don't have, to Stephanie's point, I don't have the accountability. Yeah, you don't have someone to bounce ideas off of. I could totally see it both ways, but, you know, human behavior, I would look at it and say people tend to procrastinate. And so putting it off, oh, I'll get to it someday. Oh, it's in my head. And then when does someday come? So I actually think it's easier as a couple. You have someone to spitball ideas back on. You can talk through you know, what is actually important and they can really help you. Are you sure you really want to travel that much? Are you sure you right. really want to buy the camper and drive the U.S.? Whatever that goal might be, you've got someone to, to kind of keep you also in check. So. On, on that note, I had the whole, oh, I want to buy the camper and drive the U.S. thing. And then I told it to my husband and he was so excited about it. And then a few days later, he's like, wait, one of us would have to drive that. We both <laughs> hate driving. This is a terrible idea. And so all of a sudden now it's a camper with the driver? Yeah, no. <laughs> right? We need to be chauffeured around That's the country right. in an RV. There is Jeeves. 
which I'm thinking about all of our single friends listening, I think the important point there is then you still need, you need an accountability partner. Like I think about mastermind groups in business, you know, and having people like you guys, like on Carrie, when you talk about this kind of on your show about when people start businesses, having smart people around you, like I think for single people, you got to find that person. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, whether it be your best friend or a professional, a financial professional or a life coach or something, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Biggest takeaway from this piece, Stephanie? I think the biggest takeaway is the way that finding your why reframes everything, all of your, I mean, in the piece, it's spending decisions, but all of your decisions as a choice that you're making and not just something that's happening to you or some, you know, outside force acting on you. But when you have your why in mind, everything becomes a choice and you are in the driver's seat. Ryan, how about for you? I was kind of amazed because I, I kind of live in this bubble with a bunch of physicians. So I was kind of amazed that like $400 is all that people are, are saving, even six figures. I can understand if you were going through the training thing and what I typically see, but for the general population to to only have $400 is, is kind of mind blowing to me. Let me explain that to people listening that didn't read the article that a $400 emergency is enough to capsize what they say, 47% of Americans. They can't afford a $400 emergency, which is incredibly scary. I'm just thinking of the 47% that couldn't afford the 400. And it's like, <laughs> gosh, if you just, if you just went to magnify money, you'd be, you'd be done. <laughs> Carrie, you've got the last word. What's your biggest takeaway? Oh my gosh. This was so great for my husband and I, because we even worked through some practical scenarios. He remembered he bought a pair of Air Jordans a couple weeks ago and he thought, well, how does that fulfill my why? It, it, it didn't. Wow. <laughs> His so, why is not to be Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. He knows he will never be Michael Jordan. So it was a, it was, it was a waste and they were on sale and it was a great deal. And they were the shoes he wanted when he was, you know, in high school but uh, it didn't fulfill our whys. So anyway, I, I hate to throw him under the bus with his Air Jordans. I like that though. I like the fact there's this filter and you're starting from the top of the filter, what makes me happy and working down. But then I think as you're talking about that, I think, so I just bought this uh, golf game for the Xbox. I knew when I was buying it, I'm not going to have enough time to play this. Like mm. I, I seriously don't have time to play it. And I bought it anyway and I'm thinking as you're talking, that's like this huge mistake. Like, <laughs> Well, maybe I, in that scenario it is because you're going to feel stressed that you're not taking advantage of this thing you bought. Yeah. But if it was something that filled one of your whys, like one of our whys one of, is to improve our work-life balance. So if you, know, if you made that a point that on Saturday mornings you're going to play that golf game and it's going to fulfill that balance between work and, and play, then it might actually be worth it. My why is to find some buddy online that looks like, you know, that I make them look like that can golf way better than I can. Like that's, that's fantastic. Like if I can't do it in real life, I'll have some Xbox character that like just crushes it, but uh, good stuff. We'll link to this article on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Ryan, we've got a special guest waiting for us upstairs, but you're a guy who's working on some financial technology, aren't you? I am. Yeah. yeah loan buddy. When is yours coming out? So we just launched uh, like two weeks ago for the advisor platform and uh, our consumer platform comes out at the end of January. Awesome. And we're going to talk to Ryan more about that when the consumer one comes out. 
But what's interesting is you and I all know there's a bunch of people out there that don't play test their stuff. They don't verify there's actually an audience for it. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many bad ideas that people spend a lot of money on. Well, so has uh, this gentleman, Jake Hare. He has a company called Launchpeer, which has helped over 300 different technology founders launch their good idea. So we're going to talk about bad ideas and avoiding having your app be the next bad one. Uh, Jake Hare coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement, Jake Hare from Launchpeer. How are you, man? Good. Hey, really excited to be here. The basement looks awesome. The lighting is uh, a little creepy, but it's it's fine. It'll, it'll do. No, we, we call it mood lighting. The light over there that doesn't work, that's mood lighting. I feel like I should be more scared now than I, I was before. Well, no, because <laughs> but, because you know, man, when you're talking about fintech and you're talking about fintech startups, you got to have a certain ambiance, don't you think? Yeah, you do. We got to get the cigars out and start uh, you know, getting them up. We're going to be uh, going through all of it today. Let's do it. Well, we talked to a bunch of people that have great ideas in our Friday FinTech segments, but I thought that you're an interesting guy to talk to because you work directly with those people. Tell everybody, before we get started, how did you dream up Launchpeer? What happened? Yeah, so I was working a terrible corporate gig. Uh, I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this probably feel the same where you, you dread Sundays and you can't wait for Fridays, one of those kind of jobs. Yeah. Um, and I really decided, you know what, I want to do something that I'm passionate about. And doing Launchpeer wasn't really beyond the realm of what I was doing before. At the company I was working at before, we were doing the same type of work. It was just with a different type of customer. We were working with really big corporations doing web development, app development, marketing, uh, design, branding. And I just thought, you know what, there should be a company that does those things for startups. And doing it for startups is a lot different than doing it for major corporations. So I, I had the idea, I was a little naive at the time, and thought, you know what, I built a website, people are going to come and hire me to do this stuff. Right? <laughs> the exact mistake I made is what I'm going to be talking about today about making sure that you validate your startup idea. But I, I made the mistake and started Launchpeer about four years ago. The, the first two years was kind of a grind. Uh, I wasn't doing the things that I'm going to talk about today. Once we did do that, though, we grew from me, my wife, and a couple people in the basement of our house to a 20-person company headquartered down in Charleston, South Carolina. And we've worked with over 300 startups now around the world doing everything from branding and design through web and mobile app development, including a lot of fintech startups, actually. So it's really cool that I'm on today's show. Our longtime listeners are groaning, as you say, Charleston, South Carolina, because they know (laughs) what I'm going to say next. I went to college (laughs) in Charleston. And yes. Oh, really? I had no idea. Yeah, there's a there's a bingo card out there that people are now crossing off. Great. Joe yeah, went to school I, in Charleston. You mentioned it again. Yes, <laughs> I got it in, guys. So people come to you that have an idea and you then help them develop it. Right. Exactly. So a lot of times when founders come to us, uh, this has literally happened to us where they they have a napkin sketch that they drew some stuff on with a pen and then slide it across the table and say, I need your guys' help figuring out what to do with this idea. Uh, that's very typical for the startups that we work with. Some of them have 50-page documents, but I kind of like it when a startup comes to us with just a napkin sketch because that means they understand that at the very early stages of their startup, they need to do the right things in order to get traction. And a lot of founders get caught up in overthinking all the wrong parts about building and validating a startup uh, and not thinking enough about making sure that the idea is actually a good one that people are going to want to use and really understanding 
why those people would even use the app in the first place. That kind of gets lost a little bit if you just dive headfirst into your fintech idea. Yeah, that was, uh, I wanted to start there, so let's do it. People get this great idea. They have an idea for an app. Maybe somebody listening, I'm sure there's several people listening to this that have said, you know what, I got this idea. I want to bring it to market. You're saying too many people just go to market first without making sure there's an audience? Yeah, because that's the easiest thing to do, right? I think today in today's digital age, it's much easier to build a website than it was before. It's much easier to go find and hire a developer than it was before. The hard part is actually talking to people before you even start any of that stuff. And I've made that mistake too, where when I started my company, oh, it's easy to build a website. Let me build a website first. Or it's easy to put pricing on our website. Let's do that first. It's, it's easy to go decide to build an application. Let me hire a developer. But the first thing that you really need to do is actually go talk to people and figure out whether they would even want something like this. We've heard a lot of really bad and a lot of really good ideas. I'm sure you have too, <laughs> where people come to you and it's like, hey, did you even talk to your great uncle Joe about this idea? I doubt, you know, would he even use something like this? I, I really doubt it. I need you to go back first and talk to someone about this idea and hear what their reaction is. You can glean a lot of information from someone's facial expressions when you talk to them about your idea. And it's an uncomfortable thing to do, but it really is the first thing that you have to do. You have to go talk to as many people as possible. But what if your great uncle Joe is just a fan of yours, wants to see you succeed? And you know, a lot of family members, Jake, pretty supportive people, right? How do you make sure that they're not just people nodding their head going, oh yeah, you can do it. This is going to be great. Yeah. So a lot of the founders that we work with have that same problem where all they're doing is talking to their immediate network. And if you have people that really love you, I'm hoping if you're listening to this, you have people who love you. Uh, so, yeah, that's right. uh, then they're going to want to tell you what you want to hear. And that's why when I was mentioning before, it's not about what they say. It's about the way they're reacting to you talking to them about your idea. And that's really just step one. You, you have to really be good at reading people's uh, emotions, their facial expressions when you're talking to them about this. But really talking to your friends and family is just the first step. You Really the next step that you need to do is go talk to people who you don't know. Uh, people who you've maybe met a couple times at different events or uh, friends of friends or people that you know are okay with telling you that you're full of it. Those are the kind of people that are really going to help you validate your idea. One step beyond that is then talking to people who would be your potential customers. Those are the kind of people who are going to tell you like, yes, I would actually use this. When I started my company, what I did was I knew that I wasn't going to go full-time with Launchpeer until we got our first customer because that was someone telling me that what we were doing was right. Now, that's hard with the fintech startup because when you're building in fintech, your customer is hoping that you have something built already. They want to use a product. They want to see how it works. They want to do all, you know, they want to play with the buttons and see how it's going to benefit them. That's why it's really important to have those kind of conversations to see what kind of product is it that you could build that's going to solve their problem. So as opposed to having those conversations saying, this is what I'm going to build. Instead, your conversation should be, hey, you know, there's this app out there or there's this idea out there. Or there's this problem out there. Um, are you frustrated by that problem? If there was a solution out there that did this, what would you think about it? Would you actually use it? So instead of pitching someone on your idea, you're listening for the problems that they're dealing with um, in whatever field or industry that you're working in. I was going to ask if you draw up like pictures of the app or sketches of the app, but, but based on what you're saying, no, ask them more about the problem and where their hurt points are. Exactly. Once you start asking people about the problem and hurt points and you want to dig like three or four questions deep, you don't want to just say, 
oh, are you having pro- are you having a problem putting more money into savings? Right. Okay, right. yeah, of course. Yes. The, the answer is going to be yes. Oh, the, the the first thing you should do after they answer yes isn't be like, oh, I'm going to build this app that does this. You should ask one level deeper and say, well, why? And you should try to turn yourself into like a five year old kid. I have a six and an eight year old, both boys. Oh man, and they love asking why. Right. They. Lo- I love asking why. You really, as a as a new startup founder, have to turn yourself into that five year old kid, the kid that asks why, why, until you get down to such a baseline answer that that's exactly how the person feels. So, well, why are you having trouble saving money? Oh, I'm having trouble saving money because uh, I don't have enough money in my paycheck to put money away. Well, why don't you have enough money in your paycheck to put away? Well, it's because I'm not making enough money. Well, why aren't you making enough money? Oh, well, it's not that I'm not making enough money. It's really that I don't know how to divide up the you know amount of money I have over here versus the amount of money I have over there. Hey, but I noticed you're wearing like a $500 or $1,000 watch right now. Is it really because of that or is it because you're kind of ask questions that are going to make the other person uncomfortable and asking why several times in a conversation will make you and will make them uncomfortable. (laughs) But out of those uncomfortable conversations is when the best solutions come out of the problems that they're talking about. And if people think that, Jake, what you're talking about is is baloney, I was sitting at a high school football game last weekend next to a guy that works for a Fortune 100 company, and he yeah. was saying that when they're troubleshooting, they have this system where they ask why five times. And yeah. by the time you get to the fifth why, you get to the bottom of it, you're, you're doing the thing, you're talking about the same thing for a startup that Fortune 100 companies are doing right now. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds so simple, and, and I before I figured out that this actually works, I thought it was BS too. Yeah. I mean, it was just a normal reaction for anyone. Like, yeah, everyone says you got to go talk to people, right? It, it just sounds so generic. But I want anyone who's listening to this who has an idea, think back to the last time that you talked to someone about your idea. And I would almost guarantee that you pitched them on your idea and didn't ask them about the problem. And then even if you did ask them about the problem, I bet if you really thought to yourself, you didn't ask them why, to get down to that base answer. Um, and it sounds really simple, but it's it's not a simple thing when you're in that uncomfortable situation of trying to have these conversations with people. And most startup founders I know, especially ones that have an idea, are afraid to do that because we all have, as much as we don't want to admit it, somewhat fragile egos sometimes. The last thing that we want to hear as an entrepreneur that our idea isn't good or that the problem that we thought existed isn't the real problem. But I I really think that's a good thing. Think of how many startups over the years you've seen be successful. If you go back and look at the early stages of their startup, they didn't start off with that product that they started off with. They started with something completely different. Uh, Uber made cereal and we're having air mattresses blown up in the room of their like the second bedroom of their house sort of like the basement here um <laughs> and they just had air mattresses there that they were renting out you know that that's how uh, i mean that, that wasn't uber that was airbnb um and so when you're looking at it like from that point of view every startup pivots at some point what your goal as an early fintech startup founder needs to be is to lessen the amount of times that you need to pivot and to do that you need to start talking to people about the problem before you start pitching them on a solution. I love the ideas that you have toward doing that, going to the places where they are. If you're somebody who's uh, targeting uh, millennial bar hoppers, hang out at a bar, uh, find out where people live online, take a look at going to industry events. I mean, really go where the fish are. Yeah, if your great uncle Joe has $5 million and doesn't care about saving money anymore, 
pitching him on your idea about how to how to save money is probably not the best person to talk to, right? <laughs> but the best person to talk to maybe would be forums in Reddit or questions on Quora where people are talking about specific questions that have to do with finance. And I'm not saying that you have to go and live there where you're responding to people's comments and asking them questions there. What you're doing, though, is you're looking to see what typical problems people have and the problems they have enough of that, that are hurting them so much that they felt the need to go post that question on a place where they hope to get the answer. When you see that, that's when you know that something's a real problem. And what we usually do with our startup founders that we talk to is we say, okay, you found this thread on Reddit where all they're talking about is saving money. Well, who's the person who wrote that thread? Send them a message. Ask them to have coffee or to get on a phone or just talk to them. You don't know who they are. They don't know who you are. That's probably going to be the best person to give you the feedback that you need. And you already know that that person has the problem that you're hoping to solve. Yeah. So talk to them about that problem, hear what they have to say, and then move on from there. And these people with the internet age that we're in right now, if you can't find someone online who's dealing with the problem that you're hoping to solve, then you don't have a solution that's worth building. Let's talk about if somebody out there has a good idea. This is what you guys do. And the reason why I wanted to have you on the show, Jake, wasn't just to talk about great ideas, but how you guys work with companies. You work with people from prototype to development to growing. So you get in and I'm imagining that you're, are you a paid consultant? How do you work with people? Yeah. So the reason we break it out in those three stages is because that's the three stages that the startups we work with are typically going through. The, the nice thing about what we do at Launchpeer is that we see startups at every single phase of their journey from just an idea all the way through to helping them get thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers. And so we've learned a lot working with 300 startups around the world now of what makes a, an idea successful and what makes an idea unsuccessful. <laughs> and we've seen plenty of unsuccessful ideas. And there's a lot of patterns involved. I mean, the founders we're working with are anywhere from fresh college graduates to uh, people who have 30 or 40 years of business experience you'd be surprised that it's not exactly very cut and dry on, oh, well, the experienced people are going to be more successful than the inexperienced people. That's really not the case at all. It's the actions that you take along the road of your startup journey that are going to define whether or not your idea is successful or not. Yeah, I can imagine sometimes people rely too much on that past experience and forget some of the, uh, you know, to be listening. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. You have, uh, if, if you're an experienced founder who knows your industry inside and out, what you come in with is an, an idea that, well, this is already validated because I worked in the industry and I know I have this problem. But just because you have the problem doesn't mean that other people feel like they have the problem too. But on the other end of the spectrum, with the younger founders who are just out of college and are coming to us, and this is their first startup or first business thing that they're ever doing, they have kind of the opposite mentality, which is they get... Uh, analysis paralysis. Like they, they don't want to make the next move because they don't know yeah. that their idea is good enough to move forward. So it's a very interesting dichotomy between those two groups. I'd say not one is better than the other, but they both definitely come with their own set of challenges working with them and for themselves growing their own startups. Man, I believe it. I love what you guys do. Just the idea of, of seeing these products from the ground up and helping people launch them. It's got to be an exciting place to be. Yeah. I mean, I tell people all the time I have the best job in the world as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I mean, I get to work with a couple dozen startups at a time. I get paid to do it and I get to see their everything from their idea being born all the way through to their idea being launched and then growing their startup. It's an awesome 
job and I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's so fun. The site is launchpeer.com. By the way, if you're walking the dog or on the morning commute, we'll have uh, the link to Jake's site, Launchpeer, on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Thanks, dude, for helping us help entrepreneurs make their ideas better. I'm, I know there's tons of people out there with ideas, and I hope we just made a bunch of them better. Because like you, I get some pitches to the Stacky Benjamin show where I roll my eyes and go, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. I bet it happens all the time. Yeah, it's been great to be on. If any entrepreneurs are out there, uh, just keep pushing forward. I mean, I had a lot of ideas before starting Launchpeer. You just got to live with the grind grind it out. Everything will work out. Just make sure you follow the steps that we talked about on the show. (laughs) Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to the number one pre-recorded but still live Friday podcast trivia segment. Yeah, that's right. We beat the other one. But unlike Philadelphia Eagles fans and Kanye West, I know how to win with dignity. So let's move on to the best part of this podcast, my trivia. You may have heard of a little show called, hold on, let's make sure I get this right here. It's tough to pronounce. Saturday Night Live, maybe? I don't know. Sounds a little weird, but I guess it's kind of a niche audience project thing. It's experimental. Anyway, today is the anniversary of their first show, which brings us to your trivia question. What year did Saturday Night Live first air? on this date. I'll be back with your answer right after this. Well, this is an interesting one. Saturday Night Live and what year? And we say without going over. So let me explain. Backstage over by the washing machine, we talked about exactly how this game works. We play Price is Right style, closest without going over. And Carrie, you are the person we asked to be on this particular episode first So we're going to give you the first chance to decide. Do you want to guess first in the middle or last? I'm going to go first, Joe. Awesome. It's funny because normally going last, I think, is best. But in this one where you're probably going to be somewhere. specific. Yeah, you're going to be. I feel like I know the answer, but maybe I don't. don't. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm showing my cards. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Hey, Carrie, you want to play? I'm going to guess one higher than her now, so it's great. (laughs) Actually, the game's not going over. I'm going to guess one lower. If, I never go. said I was good at this, all right? Yes, yes. If Carrie wants to play, come over and play poker, that would be <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my God. I got four aces, right? And okay. I fold. And then, uh, Stephanie, do you want to go uh, second or last? I'll go second. All right. And, Ryan, that means in what this one. happening here? I get to go last? <laughs> yeah. awesome. Normally, that's the best way to go. I don't think it's the best way to go in this particular one. So... Saturday Night Live. Now, going over means getting closer to today when we talk about years. So if you guess a year after it came out. All right, Carrie, what do you think? Okay. I'm going to say 1972. What makes you think that? Well, I know it's in the... Well, I see. I'm telling people what I think now. I I know it's in the 70s. Continue, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like... I'm not a trivia master, especially for Saturday Night Live, but I don't know. But it's in the 70s, and you're thinking closer to the early 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling it. I'm See, feeling it. I think 1972, wasn't that the year that Columbus sailed the ocean blue? Isn't that the way that works? <laughs> Maybe not. It's, I knew no one's going to learn anything on the show. It's, it, <laughs> it's, it's a theory. Could be wrong. All right, Stephanie, what do you think? Okay, so I've been to the Saturday Night Live set, oh. and I have read books that involved the founding of Saturday Night Live, and I still don't know. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to guess 1979. 
79. All right, Ryan. 72, 79. Carrie says it is, it's in the 80s, but is it in the 80s? Or excuse me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yes, yes. She said it was in the Carrie 80s. Carrie says no, it's in the wait, 70s. It's not in the 80s. It's in the 70s. I just don't know where in the 70s. I feel like it's like in the middle, but then she's like, well, maybe it's like earlier. So I don't know. I'm going to. I'm just going to be that dude again and go 19. What'd she say? 76? I'm going to say 73. <laughs> <laughs> and Carrie, that's how you lose the game. If- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, well, we're, we're. <laughs> we'll pull for 1972. We're so happy that Stack of Benjamins is brought to you by the fun people over at Magnify Money. And if you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you will find that over 90% of those tools you use every stinking day, the banking tools you use every stinking day, those are all there at Magnify Money in one place. So instead of shopping just at your local bank and asking them, hey, what do you got? How about asking, what do you got from a place that has more of the tools in one place than any other place online? And that's Magnify Money. So you probably have heard me typing. If you did, you know that we're going to go check out savings account rates. We're recording this a day and a half early, but looking at this, it looks like our top interest rate at Magnify Money, 2.5%. That's CBSB Direct. And then 2.25 at my savings direct, 2.25 Utah First Credit Union. And then uh, CIBC at 2.16, CIT Bank at 2.15, VIO Bank, Pierpoint Financial. So by the time this comes out, these might change. But more and more, man, we've got a lot of them above uh, 2%, which is great if you're somebody trying to save money. Horrible if you're borrowing money because you know what that means. It also means the interest rates on debt are also going up. So if you have debt... Then you want to refinance that debt. Once again, go to Magnify Money because you can look at 0% interest credit cards. You can look at low interest credit cards. Also look at private loans, uh, personal loans. Look at many ways to refinance your debt to lower interest rates. What I like about Magnify Money is not only do they show you a rate comparison that's easy to understand and right in order of who's got the best one. They also have user reviews and they also tell you about the fine print and you don't want to avoid the fine print score. If someplace has a great rate, but the fine print's horrible, you might want to stay away from that one and Magnify Money will tell you ahead of time which ones are safe to dig into and which ones might not be. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. Well, I know you've heard me talk about this a couple times, but I'm always amazed when somebody says, hey, Joe, what's going on with uh, you? When are you coming to my city? And of course, I just heard last week from somebody that said, why don't you come to Kansas City? And I went, holy cow. I thought I talked about that a bajillion times. So at the risk of doing that, Detroit, we are coming to see you. So if you're anywhere in the Midwest within a couple hours driving distance, we'd love to see you at our Detroit show. We're going to be playing at the Go Comedy Improv Theater in fabulous Ferndale, Michigan. Now, this is a smaller venue than any of the other two we played. Uh, It seats about 100 people, and we had 100 people in Orlando, so there is a chance that we will sell this thing out. So, stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour to make sure that you have a seat waiting for you in uh, Ferndale, Michigan, in the northern suburbs of Detroit. But what's going to happen there? Well, I just talked to Seth Ressler on the phone, and he is one-third of the awesome Debrief podcast talking about arts and entertainment, and we just found out that he's going to have 
just a fantastic comedian on with him. So our opening show, The Debrief, is going to be hilarious and fun. And then the circus that is the Stacky Benjamin Show will happen. Of course, you'll have OG and I, our good friend Chris Costello from Bloom. We'll have the TIA Difference Maker segment with someone doing just amazing stuff. And I got to tell you, in Orlando and Kansas City, we introduced you to some amazing organizations and fantastic people that picked up the ball and just did that thing that we should all be doing. So inspirational. And you're going to get another big dose of that in Detroit with our friends at TIA. So good stuff there. Of course, neighbor Doug, Richie will be there. We've got all kinds of fun. Our friend Brad, who does our t-shirts, actually plays guitar in coffee houses and in bars. And he is coming all the way from Cincinnati to be our Stacky Benjamin's band for the show. It's going to be a great time. Plus friends like Andy from Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, Kat Alford from catalford.com. She writes a lot about family and family finance. Uh, she'll be there. Our friend Tasha will be there. And Dan Posdell, a financial planner friend of mine, he'll be there. Lots and lots of surprises and fun on the show. That's next Wednesday, the 24th. Tickets going quickly. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash tour for more. Can I change my answer so I don't feel bad? No, man. They I are, like, they I are. do like 74. What? So there's like something there. We had we we, we had like three. <laughs> You're a nice guy, Ryan. Thanks. We had three <laughs> minutes of Magnify Money and the Detroit uh, show, and you're already feeling guilty. Yeah. Like your guilty conscience is strong. Well, I mean, there's 47% of people don't have 400 bucks. So if they just did Magnify Money, they'll be totally fine, right? <laughs> so you could bet your 400 bucks on the... On the, oh uh, boy. I mean, I just left Vegas. Let's do it. <laughs> there it is. Put it all on black. So no, you can't change your answer, but your answer, 1973, you feeling good about that one? No, that is <laughs> <a> horrible. <laughs> Carrie, 1972, you got to be specific. You feeling pretty good? I feel like I could have done the math and done a little bit better on my choice, but I'm going to, I have to stick with it. Right. That's the, them's the rules. Stephanie 79. If it was in the eighties, like I accidentally said earlier, you're, you're the winner. Oh, well then, no, I'm not feeling good because <laughs> I know it wasn't in the 80s. <laughs> All well, right. Carrie, Carrie anchored it because she said like early I 70s. I know it's in the early 70s and it's, I don't know what it is. So I'm like, yeah, early right. 70s. That was my low anchor. You're right. Aren't we there's negotiating your, here? Wait. Pressure. All right, Doug, what's our answer? Welcome back from the break, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, it's funny for as good as this segment is, You'd think the green room backstage would have a lot more amenities. Now, on that note, I've played some of the biggest improv venues in the world, like Orlando and Kansas City, and with their spacious three-chair green rooms and all-you-can-drink water fountains and the occasional half-used bottle of A1 sauce, I think we could use an upgrade. But as lousy as our green room is, I'm sure it's better than this little TV show we're talking about today. Something called Saturday Night Live. That's imaginative. Here was the question. In what year did Saturday Night Live first air on today's date? If you said that it was the year gasoline cost 44 cents a gallon, that Margaret Thatcher became the head of the Conservative Party in the UK, or that Jaws was released, you'd be right. What year was that, you ask? Well, Saturday Night Live premiered today, way back in 1975. Get it right? Time to celebrate. Get it wrong? As a guy named Dan once said, 
Jane, you ignorant slut. See ya. Oh, man. <laughs> now I feel bad. Thanks. Ryan totally punked Carrie. <laughs> you feel bad. I knew this at one point in my life and whoop, no, not there. I don't think 72 is that far off of 75. So, you know, I don't think it's an embarrassing answer. Yeah. If somebody hadn't stepped on your answer and just trampled it, Carrie, it would have right. been great. Well, Ryan so was the- trying to throw me a bone and say 74, but that wouldn't have helped. You still would have won. So whatever. Yeah, Joe. Thanks. <laughs> I knew I knew the answer as soon as he said Jaws came out. Stephanie's saving all her brain power though for the important stuff, right? No. 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 <laughs> she's, she's like, nah, no, probably not. <laughs> oh, we got a problem, guys. We had this wrong answer. Somebody called our voicemail and left us a question thinking that we might have the answer for them. So I suppose we should help them out. Today we're going to help out our new BFF Meredith with her question. Say hi, Meredith. We're sorry. Hey, Joe and LG. This is Meredith from Chicago. You talk a lot on your podcast about having your financial house and its foundation in order. And so my question is, what things need to be taken care of before I begin the process of investing in real estate? A little bit about me. I have no debt other than my mortgage. However, I have someone living in my home with me that covers all but $250 of my mortgage payment. I am a teacher, so I will receive a teacher pension. However, it is in Illinois, so it may look different than it is currently now. I will also receive a modest military pension at the age of 60. I have a side hustle that brings in about $1,000 to $1,200 a month. I'm currently fully funding my Roth IRA each month, and I'm able to save about $1,000 to $1,500 each month, and I have a fully funded emergency fund that would cover expenses for six months. I also have, through the military, some disability insurance and unemployment insurance, as well as some coverage through my teacher contract. So having said all that, what else do I need to make sure I'm taking care of before I make the leap to investing in real estate and having tenants? Thank you so much and have a great day. Awesome. Thanks for the question, Meredith. And Stephanie, what do you think? How's she doing? Well, I think she dialed a really wrong number because I don't know why she called in here. It sounds like she's been listening to some sort of podcast where you actually learned something. Isn't that crazy uh, talk? She's covered a lot of the bases that would make up a, a sound foundation. So, yeah, I don't know why she's asking us. <laughs> <laughs> she, she listens to Carrie's show is why. That's all. <laughs> That's got to be it. She must have wanted to call Carrie's show. Carrie, uh, what do you yeah. what do you think? You know, of course, whenever there's someone who calls in with these kind of questions and they're kind of summarizing their financial story, there's probably some details that are missing. So I'm assuming that I think there's some little things that she needs to think about. Like what if she loses the income from her roommate that she has currently? Does her emergency fund cover that? I think that's a likely scenario. I don't know her friend, but (laughs) it's possible. The other thing I saw that I was a little concerned about, too, is that She needs to consider, I presume, because she says she has six-month emergency fund. She doesn't say she has a large amount of cash that she'll be buying this house or condo or whatever it is outright. So she needs to make sure she has emergency funds that would cover the mortgage because there's going to be a month, you know, here and there, and sometimes even more than a month where you aren't going to have a tenant. So you need to be able to cover that in the time that it's not filled. So I think there's some things that she didn't. That's a good point. Budgeting into the future, like making sure you don't buy too much house and that you can still cover the mortgage without having the tenant in it. 
Yeah. Uh, Ryan, you probably have people come to you with this, asking questions like this that Meredith asked. What do you think? Bitcoin. All Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Says says the guy that was in Vegas. Hey, there you go. Actually, I'm super impressed with Meredith. She's got it together. I think she's thought through a lot of this. You know, we did talk a little bit about goals. So I'd I'd actually have her write down, like, what are some of your major expenses coming up? And that might be one, three, five years down the road. Uh, Maybe she needs a new AC or something that might be coming that she might want to save for. You know, then what are your goals coming up in the one, three, five years that she might want to do? Is she going to increase her travel? Things like that. Some of the stuff we already kind of chatted on. But one of the things that wasn't clear is, like, what's her financial acumen around real estate? Like how much knowledge does she have? Because you don't make money selling real estate. You make money when you buy it. So you got to make sure you're underwriting the right deals. You're factoring vacancies and all sorts of stuff in there. Cap, you know, CapEx, yeah, cap rate. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So making sure that she's thought through it all and has a good foundation for real estate. I think before you do anything, you need to, to have that from a financial standpoint, though. I mean, disabilities, she's got coverage. She's, she's crushing it with a side hustle, an extra thousand bucks. That's awesome. She's house hacking. How cool is that? So I think she's doing a lot of really good stuff. I think that's a good point. But also, you know, we've talked about budgeting your money and you also talked about making sure you have the knowledge of real estate going into it, but also budgeting your time. She talks about the side Mm -hmm. hustle, but we don't know what that is and how much time it entails and if it's the sort of thing that she could put on hold and pick back up again or could delegate out and still bring in that income. So is she going to have the time budget to do the research required to make the money on the deal when you buy for real estate and also the side hustle and also her day job? And so just not necessarily that that's a problem, but just really planning for the fact that real estate is a really heavy time investment up front. And so the side hustle in the real estate might be a bit in conflict at first. Yeah. Finding the finding the tenant takes time. I mean, finding the right property. That's that's a great point. I didn't even thought about that. And then managing it as it's yeah. as time goes on. If the fridge breaks, you gotta go out and buy a fridge. You gotta find someone to fix it. You gotta there's a lot of stuff. And if you have a manager, to your point, Carrie, if you have a manager factoring in that cost, if you're not gonna take the time, is also something else. Uh we're gonna have our friends Josh Dorkin and uh, Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets are gonna be coming on. They have a new book coming out, but that's a community, Meredith, you probably wanna join is the Bigger Pockets community. Those two guys and uh, the team of people over there, Scott Trench, Mendy Jensen, do a fantastic job and their forums are a fantastic place to dive in. There's a lot of people in the real estate market. I get more people in real estate that want to come on our show and a lot of them are so flipping slimy. I can easily point though to the Bigger Pockets community as one that's a great place to learn and um, and grow. So great stuff there, Meredith. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for us, Head to stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the page, it says questions for the show. Click on that link. And if you're as brave as Meredith was, we're going to send you some swag. And actually, Meredith, you did not give me your email address. So if you write me, Joe at Stacky Benjamins and say, hey, I'm Meredith. And you know what's going to happen with the smart asses that listen to this show? (laughs) I'm going to have like 40 people tell me they're Meredith. Why are you looking at me when you say that, by the way? I don't get it. How do you know what oh, $10 <laughs> and a t-shirt. Jeez. That's right. I'm like, swag. Man. We get Man. everything on this show. How come How come I just got an email from Ryan slash Meredith, right? Uh, uh, but anyway, Meredith, uh, uh, send me send me your email and we will hook you up with the greatest money show on earth circus t-shirt. All right. That's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks a ton for playing. 
let's start with you, Stephanie. What's happening lately at Poorer Than You? Well, I just dropped a monster post about how to refinance your student loans I saw onto that. a credit card. Yeah. And so I think I'm probably going to take like another six months of not writing anything important. <laughs> but I do have a post in the works about how I went from the real poorer than you days when I was eating 33 cent boxes of pasta purchased with credit to now having over $100,000 saved. So I'm working on that. And I'm also launching a new project called Money Middletons, which is going to be a content curation site that brings together the best personal finance content for people on middle incomes. Oh, that's cool. So they just come to Money Middletons first and find the best blogs out there for them. Yeah, they'll find, you know, any place where you can learn something. So this podcast will never be. Never, never, ever. We don't have a shot. That's why we, I knew that was coming and this was my way to suck up to you, but apparently she saw right through that. So there we are. (laughs) Nope. You're on the banned list already. It it just has stacking Benjamin. Perfect. Yeah, there's one that will never make it. Uh, When does that launch? When when do you think that's going to be out? That launches very soon. It's on October 22nd. Oh, yeah. That's coming up very soon. Well, that's cool. That's a lot of work, too. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a smart woman. I tend to overschedule myself with these things. So, you know, come on, check it out and encourage me to keep doing more than I can handle. By the way, back on your student loans to credit card uh, Mm -hmm. post, how much money did you save? By doing that? Almost $10,000 in interest uh, over the different refinances I've done. That's pretty amazing. Did you get reward points too? I did get reward points on some of it. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and plug one of your sponsors. I did use Magnify Money to find the balance transfer card to do the balance transfer, moving my my student loan balance to a credit card. Fantastic. Did did Joe pay you $10 to say that? (laughs) Uh, no, <laughs> and, uh, I don't, I should have held that back. Should have been like, Hmm, where's my $10? Y- you should, you should have. Yes. But Joe, uh, Joe's going to tell you how to get $10 out of him. Continue Joe. Luckily, <laughs> luckily Nick will actually hand me his $10 now since we, we had a, a nice endorsement there from Stephanie. So thanks. And by the way, we'll link to the poor and you blog and, uh, and, and to the new project called the, the, what is it? Meet the Middletons or? It's Money Middletons. Money Middletons. Money Middletons. We'll link to that in our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. Ryan Inman, I'm so sorry you could be sure. here today. Hang on. It happens. Hang on. Hang on with us. It happens. It's so funny. Yeah. Ryan's this guy just feel free to insult, and he feels free to insult me back. So there we go. Yeah. What's, what's going works. on at the Financial Residency Podcast? I heard you have an awesome guest on your show today. I do. Carrie. So it's going to be really nice to have Carrie on. We were chatting at live uh, at the Ally booth there at FinCon. And uh, it was a really cool conversation. I was very honored and fortunate to have her on the show. And uh, we talked uh, about a lot of great stuff. So if you're, awesome. if you're interested in hearing more with Carrie, come join us over at Financial Residency. That's fantastic. And seriously, whether you're a, a physician or not, you guys talk just a lot about good money management at Financial Residency. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And we'll link to that on our show notes also at Stacky Benjamins. Carrie, it's about time we got you here. I'm so happy oh, that you could make Thank it. Thank you. So what's oh going gosh. on? What's going on at the Hippocratic Hustle? So I'm going to be continuing to put out my weekly episodes, interviewing women physicians and other smart people about how we can 
find freedom and life, work, and finances. So that's going to be coming. I also have some bonus episodes coming up. To speak to the episode that that Ryan and I recorded, we talked a lot about locum tenens, which is the travel doctor thing. It's kind of how I do my doctoring work right now. So there's a little bit more to that. You can listen to the episode with Ryan and I explained it a little bit, but I'm going to be doing a Locum's Confidential bonus series where it's basically me talking about my experiences with uh, being a travel doc. So it's going to be really interesting, and it's kind of it's kind of me putting myself out there a little bit without a guest. Ooh. That's oh, that's awesome. That's hard. <laughs> that is hard radio. I hear like uh, David Stein do that on Money for the Rest of Us, or Roger Whitney do that, and I think I no guest is so hard. So yes, you're, you're yes, braver than me, Carrie. So. Thank you. I talk to myself a lot, so that helps. <laughs> And we'll have a link also to the Hippocratic Hustle podcast at our show notes page. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Carrie, Stephanie, and Len. Start with your why, and you're much more likely to meet your long-term goals. Sounds simple, but it's a big reason people can't handle a $400 emergency. Second, Have a great idea for that next great fintech app we'll introduce here on the show? Take some advice from launch peers, Jake Hare, and validate it first. You'll save yourself time, money, and prevent a whole lot of frustration. But the big lesson? Don't talk to Joe's mom about adding a better green room backstage for our guests. She'll offer them some fruitcake with those little cheese pieces in it. God, that's disgusting. Special thanks to Dr. Carrie Reynolds for joining us today. You'll find the Hippocratic Hustle wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to Stephanie from Poorer Than You for joining us. Head to our show notes page for a link to Stephanie's blog, Carrie's podcast, and links to our live show in Detroit. Speaking of Detroit, Motor City, we're headed your way on Wednesday, October 24th. But first, check out Joe on Channel 7 this weekend, on Channel 2 early next week, and in the online scene magazine before the show. And then we'll all be live at the Go Comedy Improv Theater in Ferndale on Wednesday night. Want details? Check it out at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash tour. And thanks to Len Penzo for pretending to want some of Joe's mom's fruitcake with those nasty cheese pieces. That guy's totally taking one for the team today. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. suppose they call that a novelty act i don't know but it wasn't too bad well that's a novelty
Welcome to the After Show. For those of you that are new, and we have uh, two new guests to the show, so I'll just explain it. What happens here stays here. We have a mutual friend, Belinda. Belinda, if you're listening, Belinda went out and said, oh, and on the After Show, Joe and I talked about I'm like, what the hell is she doing? She's on Facebook telling everybody what we talked about on the after show. You don't talk about the after show. So, um, yeah, Ryan talked about the after show once, and that's why I didn't give him his 10 bucks. That's why? (laughs) You'll be better at these rules. I'm I'm kidding. So, in our Facebook group, which is called The Basement, if you want to join The Basement, it's facebook.com forward slash basement. Our friend Susan had a hilarious post about a UK couple that were visiting Sri Lanka. They got really drunk at a hotel bar. The bartender told them that the hotel was for sale. And while they were loaded, they bought it. So they, <laughs> they, they, they bought the place. And I think it was even like a attached to it. Like they bought a whole hotel, but it makes me think about purchases that you made, not while intoxicated, but just purchases you made where you go, really? So Carrie actually kind of talked about a little bit with those Air Jordans, but but what is a purchase that you made where now you go, you know what? That was a that was a huge error. Anybody got one? Stephanie, you got one? So while Carrie did her homework on the headlines and she sat down with her husband and they filled out the worksheet, my husband and I just spent time texting back and forth about dumb things that we bought. <laughs> but it was it was hard because we got hung up on the word embarrassed that you used when you told us about this. And like, we're not embarrassed of any of the dumb stuff that we bought, but other people have been embarrassed by things that we've bought. So... My best example is that uh, we didn't have a couch when we first moved in together. We had a tiny futon that doesn't count. And so instead of buying a couch, we bought more than $600 beanbag, a giant beanbag. And uh, that's what we had for, I don't know, two or three years in our living room before we bought a much more expensive couch. And so, yeah, a lot of people would give us a decent amount of crap. Like, you guys don't even have a couch. And we're like, we like our beanbag. We, we have don't a, care. We have a $600 beanbag. That's a hell of <laughs> right. a... What is that beanbag stuffed with? Because those aren't beans for 600 bucks. It's like, it's like magic memory foam things. I don't know. It's called the love sack. Which, uh, let's not get into that name, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it comes with a rocker thing, so you can rock back and forth on the beanbag, or you can lay it down, or you can make it a gaming chair, which was, of course, the big sell for us, that this was something to video game in. But um, I'm not embarrassed of my $600 beanbag, but I know my mother was embarrassed for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. $600 on a beanbag. But you got me on the rocker part. That's what yeah. I'm like, oh, but it comes with a rocker. Okay, yeah. that's that's worth another 450 bucks right there. And pillows. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the throw pillows make it a smart financial purchase, right? You've got throw pillows on your beanbag? Yeah, they're on the couch now, but it came with them. This isn't a regular beanbag. Like this no. is No. Like, for like $600 it better not bag. be. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no. It is. It is. It functions as a full bed if you take it out of the cover and put it down on the floor. So it's like it's like an air mattress and a and a bean bag and a rocker and I don't know. You don't, you, I'm not embarrassed. I was gonna say you're not even slightly embarrassed. You're selling this crap. I love it. I love my love sack. <laughs> like you should you should get a, you should get a commission for selling the love sack. I know. And, I know. And next week it's not magnify money. It's love sack. It's love sack. Oh, yeah, you should. You should get a sponsorship from them. Love sack. If you want to sponsor the show, Doug would love that. Y- yeah, we we'd have Doug talk about his love sack. 
<laughs> and then the show Never gets mind. Never mind. Bad idea. Yeah. Then the show Love's gets Jack, Love Sacks trying to figure out how they just sold like 47 more like today. <laughs> and why they're all going to Texas. Their sales is quadrupled. <laughs> 47 just for the just for Doug's uh seating area. Ryan, what do you got? Oh man. What you got? You know, you you told me like an hour into this, hey, this is what we're going to do. I I had like dozens of ideas so that I didn't have to practice at all, apparently. So I have season tickets to the Golden Knights, which I don't, and I'm not embarrassed, I don't think that was the mistake. The mistake was is every game I went to, I bought the puck because it was the inaugural year. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I bought the first puck. Then the next game bought the puck. Well, they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup, and I now have like 37 hockey pucks. And I'm like, (laughs) ah, well... Everyone's going to get hockey pucks for Christmas. I love you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. So like I have a lot of hockey pucks just hanging out the house. My brother and I, somebody gave us uh, a family friend, this older woman. She knew a bunch of uh, pro baseball players. She and her husband had, and then her husband passed away and she had all these autographed baseballs. And she had one that was all the New York Yankees, Roger Maris, um, the guy that broke the home run record at the time. All of these, it was, it was an amazing baseball. And one day my brother and I, we couldn't find our ball. And it was like the first day of April where there wasn't snow. It's like Sandlot. Yeah. 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 And we took the autographed baseball aside and we, we threw it around and my dad was so furious. He's like, are you kidding? They had Joe DiMaggio's, Joe DiMaggio's, uh, um, uh, uh, anyway, we blew it. Not good. Yeah. I'm not embarrassed by buying it because we I didn't buy it. I had it given to me. I'm embarrassed that we took it out of the protective case and just started throwing it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is when my I, concern I, about having kids, you know, as I'm I'm a geek who's collected a lot of like action figures that are still in their packaging and stuff. And I'm like, oh no, I had a kid. That wasn't maybe a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You can't have nice things. Right, I know. I should have oh, kept my nice kids things. in the protective coating, you know? <laughs> like taking them out of the right. thing was the problem when we had our twins. Uh, Carrie, do you got one or you want me to go first? Oh, I got, I got one, but it's, it's kind of dry. So I think you guys will have to try to try to twist this in a funny way, but I unfortunately bought a variable universal life insurance plan when I was over $600,000 in student loan debt. Oh, that is not dry at all. Yeah. That is not dry. <laughs> hilarious, isn't it? I know you can only laugh because otherwise you'd cry. It makes me so angry that some, excuse my language here, but some a-hole sold that to you. Indeed. Indeed, uh, but we're working through it. We're how did they how did they it. convince you it was the right thing? Well, because they marketed themselves as a insurance agent for physicians, and so I trusted them. This is this is what happens to doctors. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing because this is what happens to doctors. People take advantage of us. I think other people too, but also so us. I'll tell you this: when I would recommend a variable universal life insurance policy, and there's people out there who fight me on this every single time when I say that I don't think the product's bad. There's bad usage of the product. It was usually to a physician. However, not to you. Not to six hundred thousand dollars in debt. I think no, that's the kicker, right? No, it was somebody that already has so much money and they're right? already shoving money. It wasn't just a physician, it was an entrepreneur, it was a business owner, it was somebody right. that has so much cash flow, and we yep. were looking for a place to stuff the cash flow. And I'm gonna get letters about this because I always do. And you know what? Right. You're wrong. If you're writing me, you're wrong, and I'm right. right. <laughs> no, and I totally agree with you. There are very specific situations where these are actually legitimate and a yes. proper choice. 
but not my case. That's for damn sure. That makes me so angry because then, when, no, seriously, when I, no, feel free. When it, we just beep it out, Steve, <laughs> Steve's like- I'm getting sits, riled up. So, yes. you know. Well, me too, because it's because of stories like that. When I would recommend it for people, they wouldn't right. buy it because they'd heard all the stupidity in that market. And that just made me really angry. So yeah, good story. I'm riled up too. I'm there with you. Wow. Well, mine, and I reference this on our basement Facebook group for, for people that aren't a part of that, I'll tell you the story. So Cheryl and I, on one of our wedding anniversaries, our 10th wedding anniversary, we went to Paris. Our 15th wedding anniversary, because our kids were getting a little older and we couldn't go away for very long, we went to the Paris Casino in, in Vegas. And then our 20th wedding anniversary, our kids were swimming in a swim meet. So we took a uh, one night overnight to hot springs, like two hours from here. But this, you know, older, kind of cool town, nice uh, national park showing the old hot springs and bathhouses there. But while we were there, we went to this, uh, there's a cool bar there where Al Capone used to go and we had the best waitress and Cheryl is not a big drinker. And for Cheryl, the waitress found the best drink. I don't even remember what it was called. It had some 1920s gangster name. And Cheryl, who rarely drinks one, had three. And so she and I are both just pretty lit. And luckily, we we only had to walk like a block to our hotel. But on the way there, there was an art gallery. And so we walk into this art gallery And they're selling these tiles, these cool looking tiles. And they were really neat. And Cheryl said, you know, maybe we should buy one of those. Well, I thought that there was a specific wall in our house that was empty and one little tile wasn't going to look good. We needed nine of them because if you put them in like a, a little grid, it would look so much better. So we bought nine of these tiles just completely hammered. <laughs> and so the next the next day we wake up and we had a long talk about whether we were going to return them or not. We decided to keep them partly as a lesson. We could afford them, but it wasn't the best purchase. And you know the wall that was blank? The most expensive art in our house back when I owned a house was... Your bathroom? Right above the toilet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's where you do your deep thinking, right? You kind of... Like above the toilet, like behind you? No, right above the toilet. So you're... So yeah, for guys, you're staring at it. Okay. So I... Contemplating life's mysteries right there. That's right. I stare at this uh, horrible uh, drunken purchase that I went... (laughs) Yeah, that was not the best idea. So, you know, it's a life lesson, right? Every time you go to the bathroom, you're like, yep, I need to be better with money. A good one to learn. I, I kind of felt like your thing would be like an infomercial, Joe. Like you, you had too much wine and you're like, God, I really want those nine knives for a bunch of money. Like, <laughs> let's do that. We actually. Like I would have lost. I would have thought that was yours. I was going to, I was going to cut the show right there, but I'll tell you, we actually, on a Sunday afternoon, we saw this dude doing an infomercial about this walk. And it was amazing. It was this hand beaten walk and it came with all this extra stuff and you can buy it on payments. And I don't watch infomercials. Cheryl and I watched the entire hour of this guy talking about how it works and what you can. And he had this cool Australian accent. Oh, I remember that guy. And you know, what's funny. I still own it and I still love it. 
Like I remember when it came, how excited I was and uh, what we both were. And we used the crap out of that walk. But this guy was such a great salesman that he not only sold me the walk, he sold me like how to make more food in my walk. You know what I mean? Which I guess if you're going to buy the infomercial, you might as well buy, might as well buy the whole damn thing. I was totally kidding, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.